All right, welcome to the Young Turks. We've got a great interview for you guys right now. Uh, joining me is Representative Tulsi Gabbard, running for President of the United States. Tulsi, welcome to the Young Turks. Oh, Jake, good to see you. Good to see you. Uh, good to have you at Rebel Headquarters. Uh, I've interviewed you a number of times, but never as a it's presidential candidate. My first time candidate. here, also actually to your headquarters. That's right. It's that's impressive. right. Uh, so, Tulsi, um, um, you're running for president, yes. uh, and we've got a lot of folks running for president, and so there's a little bit of a competition for who is more progressive, uh, <laughs> which is a great thing, which is a wonderful thing. What a right? change, huh? Yeah. Now, some are not in that competition. Some, like uh, Senator Klobuchar, say, yeah. ah, "No, no, thanks." Right? Um, she's running as a moderate, as a centrist, and everybody's got their own lanes. Right? First of all, would you call yourself progressive? Yeah. Of course. Okay. And uh, and so I wanted to ask you some questions about uh, concerns that people have about some of the issues where you're not progressive, because I think a lot of people uh, know the issues that you are uh, progressive in, and if they don't, they should, like Medicare for all, uh, and obviously getting out of the wars, which is really your go-to issue, and and that has made you in a lot of ways famous in a good way, right? Um, so. Some have concerns about your framing on the war on terror, and and you've got some unfortunate fans there. Now that's not your fault. There's nothing you could do about it. But Steve Bannon does like you. He said, or there's an anonymous source saying Bannon loves Tulsi Gabbard, loves her, wants to work with her on everything. She would fit perfectly to inside the administration. She has the foreign policy stuff and the Islamic terrorism stuff. I don't want you to respond to Steve Bannon's. Mind because you can't control it, etc. But I think the reason he likes you is because I'm going to show a clip here and about your thoughts on Islamic extremism. Then I want you to react to your own thoughts and your own positions on it. Let's watch together. Something happened today where Secretary Kerry made a statement which I think was very evident of the problem that we're seeing. Where in a speech she talked about how these Islamic extremists that they are engaged in, and I quote, criminal conduct rooted in alienation, poverty, thrill-seeking, and other factors. And he went on to say that ultimately this fight will be determined by our success in creating prosperity that's widely shared. This is completely missing the point of exactly this radical Islamic ideology that's fueling these people. And mistakenly, a huge mistake, thinking that somehow, okay, well, look, if we give them $10,000 and give them a nice place to live, that somehow they're not going to be engaged in this fighting. All right, the first obvious question is, do you still believe that? Yes, the ideology, what my comments there are are focusing on is, in order to defeat this threat of terrorism that is not only existing for the American people in the United States, but these terrorist groups like ISIS and Al Qaeda, who are, are killing and wreaking havoc on people in other parts of the world, in order to defeat this threat of terrorism, you have to understand the ideology that's driving them. And if you look at terrorist groups like ISIS and Al Qaeda, the ideology that they share comes out of Saudi Arabia. It's this Wahhabi Salafist ideology that basically preaches um, unless you follow their perverted brand of Islam, then you must either convert or be killed or enslaved. This ideology is what Saudi Arabia is is propagating around the world, spending billions of dollars to spread this ideology, which is creating fertile recruiting grounds for these terrorist groups. So when we talk about defeating the threat of terrorism, it has to be done both militarily and ideologically, defeating this exclusivist ideology that preaches hate against 
whether it's Christians or other Muslims or Hindus or Jews or atheists or others, anyone who does not follow this Wahhabi Salafist ideology. So um, I think that there's a lot of progressives who agree with you on uh, the threat of Saudi Arabia. Ro Khanna, Elhan uh, Omar, yourself have done a great job in pointing out the problems with Saudi Arabia and their war in Yemen. Uh, so a lot of good progressives on that front. But uh, some good progressives that are in that same camp have an issue with uh, the framing of radical Islamic extremism. That's a term that the right wing uses and they, they're not comfortable with uh, putting Islamic in there because they're worried that it leads to other consequences. So for example, they think it might lead to discrimination and Donald Trump then did say that he wants a complete and total ban on Muslims overall. Uh, and then he asked for extreme vetting of Syrian refugees, which you actually voted for. And, and so, but correct me if I'm wrong yeah. on any of this. Uh, so can you see their concern about both the, the framing of that and the vote on, on extreme vetting? What, what I don't understand is how people who call themselves progressives could somehow uh, stand behind or defend this ideology that Saudi Arabia is spreading and that terrorist groups like Al Qaeda and ISIS uh, adhere to. This is the most repressive, um, harmful, devastating ideology um, that must be defeated. And this is why, this is specifically why I make this distinction between this specific ideology, this Wahhabi Salafist ideology as distinct from the the Muslim uh, the rest, vast majority of Muslims around the world who do not adhere to and who condemn this kind of exclusivist ideology. Yeah, it is exactly for this reason. In order to defeat it, we have to understand what it is uh, and to drive that distinction that so sets that apart. I, let me be clear to everybody watching: uh, no progressive is in favor of that ideology. It is the right wing of the Muslim world. It is atrocious. No one agrees with it. Uh, the, the question that those folks have and uh, is that putting the word Islamic in there seems to uh, inc- uh, unnecessarily bring the whole religion into it. And, and then let's go to the vote because there was yeah, 47 sure. Democrats that voted with the Trump administration on the extreme vetting of Syrian well, refugees, you actually, were among them. This was actually during the Obama administration. Mm-hmm. This was not during the Trump administration. The Obama administration had come in and spoken to the Democratic caucus prior to this vote taking place, saying that our concerns about this bill is we don't have enough resources to make sure that this vetting that the bill called for um, occurred. Basically what that bill said is that uh, I believe it was the Department of Homeland Security needs to certify that refugees who are seeking asylum in this country have been vetted. Try to prevent anyone who's seeking to abuse the system uh, from sneaking into our country in that way. That was what was presented to us by members of President Obama's cabinet. And them coming before a committee saying, the problem with this is we just don't have the resources. Why don't we provide you with the resources to make sure that Department of Homeland Security is able to do their job? Mm-hmm. Uh, that, was, that was the information that we had going in to that vote. And the reason why I voted the way that I did is because unless our vetting system is doing its job, then we end up harming all refugees who are trying to come into this country. Because if you have, and we have had examples of people who have abused it and used it and terrorist groups who have come in or individuals who have come in and started trying to plan attacks here 
in the homeland. When that happened under the Obama administration, they shut down the entire um, asylum program, stopping any refugees at all from coming into our country for a period of time. I think it was at least six months or so, um, putting the whole program uh, in question. So that was why I cast that vote. Um, I have supported and uh, put forward requests for appropriations to make sure that we have resources, not only going to the Department of Homeland Security, but to make sure that we have the resources there to support our refugee program to continue. Because mm-hmm. it's important, it's, it's, it's part of the fabric of our country. First of all, thank you for correcting the record on when the vote was. That's why we have these yeah. conversations. Um, but uh, we already have a, an 18-step vetting process. And that's why the great majority of the Democrats voted in the opposite direction. So uh, they were worried that it, this was an extra layer on top. Uh, so you, you were not as concerned about that. It, it was not an extra layer on top. It was simply saying the Department of Homeland Security needs to certify that this vetting process is doing what it's supposed to do. Okay, asked and answered. Um, so now uh, you you stand by radical Islamic extremism, and I, I love by, the radical I part. By, that, that I stand by pointing out very specifically the ideology that's driving terrorist groups. And if you if you watch that that um, that interview, the point that I was making is that Secretary Kerry's comments. We're not at all identifying the ideology that was driving, that is driving these terrorist groups like ISIS and Al Qaeda. And unless and until our leaders do that and understand this threat and our enemy and who they are and why they're doing what they're doing, then there's no way they'll ever be defeated. Right, and so that's why I was saying I I love the idea of attacking fundamentalism overall and the radical ideology. The reason I don't attach religions to it because I think it happens all across the world. So there's Buddhists who do it to Muslims in Myanmar. And in 2002 in Gujarat, Hindu nationalists and extremists attacked Muslims and 2000 were massacred. So are you concerned about Hindu nationalism being radicalized as it was in 2002? I'm concerned about anyone who is in the name of religion, whatever religion that may be, um, inflicting harm and death and pain upon others in the name of God or in the name of religion. So right there with you. Um, So you voted no on HR 417 in 2013 that condemned that religious violence in India, so uh, why? Um, I'm not sure, I'd have to look back and see exactly what resolution you're talking about. Uh, if it's the one I think it is, it's because it was a resolution being introduced and trying to pass through the House Armed uh, Foreign Affairs Committee um, in trying to twist and influence uh, India's elections at that time. Uh, I don't believe that the United States should be interfering or intervening in anyone's elections in any other country in the world. And that that was the objective of that resolution. It was not denying um, the kind of religious-based violence that occurs, uh, whether it be in India or in other places. So Prime Minister Modi is a, a complicated character, as are a lot of the world leaders, and it's not a black and white issue. And so, again, I want to give enough space here to have a nuanced conversation mm-hmm. about it. But, uh, and I know a lot of Indian Americans who are big fans of him uh, for other reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was in control in, in Gujarat in 2002. There are a lot of credible sources that said he looked the other way and perhaps even encouraged that massacre. What's your take on that? Uh, do you think that Modi uh, was partly responsible for that? 
All I can look at are the facts, and that is um, this has gone through India's judicial system. I believe over years there have been extensive investigations, and uh, he was not tried or found guilty for being responsible for those massacres. Uh, again, the the um, the paper on this is is extensive, and I'm not going to claim to have read every one of them, but I have heard and read the conclusions, and that is if he was responsible. Um, that was not something that their Supreme Court went all the way up to their Supreme Court, um, and and that was not the case. Okay, let's uh, switch to domestic policy a little bit. So I'll ask you the same thing I asked Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Um, are you in favor of Medicare for all, and does that mean just Medicare for all, or does it could it also mean buy-in? What's what's your definition in that sense of Medicare for all? <laughs> It's interesting now that it's no longer just the question of do you support Medicare for all. Now there are all of these other nuances to the conversation. I support Medicare for all. I've been a co-sponsor of the legislation in the House now for a few years. I think it is an important change that our country needs to make to address the fact that there are still far too many Americans in this country who have no kind of health insurance or access to health care whatsoever, and far too many who are underinsured and who, because of high deductibles or or high copays, can't afford to get the care that they need. Every single person in this country deserves to have the care, the quality health care that they need. If there are other private insurance plans or programs that that are being offered outside of Medicare for all. Of course, people should be free to be able to to choose those if they if they want. So th- that is a question that that uh, I wanted to get focus on a little yeah. bit too. So Bernie Sanders, for example, says uh, if you want to have cosmetic surgery, sure, get private insurance for that. But otherwise, it would be eliminated. In fact, he says, "Damn right." Um, so, uh, do you agree with that, or do you think that the private sh- insurance should have a larger role? I think this this has to still be worked out. I don't think that this is fully addressed in either of the pieces of legislation at a practical in a practical way of, of implementation. Um, what that would look like exactly? Uh, I've been studying and looking at some of the models that exist in other countries in the world who have single payer systems or universal health care systems, and just about everyone has some role that private insurance still plays. Um, there are different reasons and again, different models. So I think as we look at the implementation of Medicare for all, this is something that we need to work out. Is Medicare buy-in also Medicare for all or no? No, I don't think so. I don't know if I'm fully familiar with, with those, uh, those bills, but uh, Medicare for all clearly stands on its own. Got you. So when John Conyers first introduced Medicare for all resolution back in 2015, yeah. You did not co-sponsor it. Um, so, did you have a change of mind, or, or yeah, or like, like everything, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. it's a big change to our healthcare system, uh, and it's something that, like a lot of people in this country, I wanted to learn more about and think more about how this this change could actually be uh, brought about. Okay, and let's go to Green New Deal. Yeah. Um, actually, before we go to that. Look, I've had a lot of change of mind, right? I used to be Republican, I'm I not think, anymore. I think if we look at if we look at how we want to make progress in this country. Um, we have to we have to hope that people will begin to change their minds on a whole host of issues. Uh, that that's why we that's why we do what we do, right? Is to help right. inform and educate and and uh, make that progress possible. So, what was the thing that tipped you over that made you think, no, I, I 
I am ready for this. I think this is the right place. Look, I think seeing more and more how how we spend more money on healthcare in this country than any other country in the world, yet we have far worse outcomes is unacceptable. So then that begs the question, why is that? Where is all this money going? And why is our the quality still inferior to other countries who spend less on their healthcare? You look at how the big insurance companies and big pharmaceutical companies are more interested in making profits and lining their pockets with money than they are really about are the people who they're there to serve, are they getting the care that they need? And that is what is at the crux of the problem with our current system is people are suffering as a result of this profit-making venture that happens on their backs and people are being exploited. Uh, Green New Deal, uh, are, are you in favor of it? I'm in favor of, of these goals that we have to take aggressive action to address the climate crisis that we face. Uh, this is why I introduced uh, last year the Off Fossil Fuels Act, uh, an actionable plan to get our country off of fossil fuels, make investments in a green renewable energy economy, provide that support for training a workforce to be able to, to help support us uh, in, in getting there. Um, there. There are some provisions in the Green New Deal resolution that I have a problem with, uh, one being the federal jobs guarantee. Uh, that's not something that is fleshed out in any way in the resolution. Uh, and if we look at that concept just broadly, uh, we have seen how it has been um, tried and failed uh, in other countries. Okay, so that's a clear answer. Yeah. And let's go back to the oil companies. Yeah. So, in your plan and your bill and your vision of the future, sure. would we no longer have oil companies? We would end our subsidies to these oil companies and basically eliminate the market for them. By transitioning our country off of fossil fuels, we're creating a whole, it's not a new industry, it's there, but we need to be able to grow and further this investment in green renewable energy that protects us as people, is better for our environment, and begins to address the climate crisis that we face. I think it's important for us to, to recognize as we talk about this that, that even if we do every single thing that we need to do in this country, uh, both in changing you know, personal choices in the way that we live our lives, uh, deal with uh, transitioning off of fossil fuels and investing in renewable energy, dealing with um, our agriculture industry that contributes so much carbon uh, to the atmosphere, further worsening this problem. Still, even if we do all of these things, it still would not be enough. Uh, this is a global crisis, and this is why it's important that we work with other countries uh, in coordination with cooperation to be able to achieve this common objective to this threat that faces us all. Right, and I think that everybody on the left at least can agree that the subsidies to the oil companies are unconscionable. Completely. Uh, totally unnecessary. Completely. So uh, assault weapons ban, are you in favor of it or no? Yes. You are, always been in favor of it? Um, one of those things I needed to learn more about how it would be implemented. Uh, but I've been a co-sponsor of the bill to ban assault weapons now for quite some time. Okay, so you had a transition, like I said, I, I did too. Uh, and, and in the past, obviously, some of the comments that you made about the LGBT uh, uh, community came out. Um, talk to me about the transition. Um, when did you transition away from 
you know, I'm, I'm whatever it was that your opinion was at the sure. time to now uh, being in favor of uh, gay marriage, yeah. e equal rights yeah. across the board. Yeah, well, I just want to be clear at the outset, my commitment to fighting for equality for all Americans, fighting for LGBTQ equality um, is not just an empty statement. It's not an empty promise. It is evident through my record in over six years in Congress, 100% legislative rating from the Human Rights Campaign. Uh, and this record of um, using my position in Congress to further this cause of equality is a reflection of what's in my heart uh, and this commitment, the commitment that I will carry through as president. Um, I, I grew up in a pretty socially conservative home um, and had values uh, and, and believed things then that, that I don't believe now and haven't for quite some time. Um, I think it's it's uh, you know it's it's something that I, I apologized to our LGBTQ community in Hawaii, for example, when I ran for Congress, and and some of these legitimate concerns were raised, and I apologized to them for things that I had said in the past, and and the pain um, that I had caused for that, uh, and I made a promise to them that I have carried through on throughout my time in Congress, and that commitment to fighting for equality is something that I will that I will uh, continue to push forth in whatever way I can. All right, you went uh, to an event where the Adelsons were, uh, Sheldon Adelson, uh, I always get confused if it's Adelson or Adelson. It's only been 10 years that I've been saying the name. Uh, and, and, and you have a picture with Miriam Adelson, and I'll go with Adelson. Uh, and and uh, Rabbi Shmuley, now I know Rabbi Shmuley, and I, I might have taken a picture with him at some point. He's opposed to me, he's very conservative. Uh, but uh, and that's a, a, a group that is in favor of Israel. But everybody's in favor of Israel. That's not the yeah. question. Adelson is very uh, in favor of the very right wing governor, uh, governor government of Israel. So um, not so much about the picture. Anybody can take a picture with anybody. That's generally, that that's what happened there, and what happens all the time. <laughs> right. But um, were you surprised that they uh, gave you a welcome reception, the Adelsons? I wouldn't say that there was a welcome reception. Again, that was a picture of walking through the hall and saying, hey, let's take a picture. Um, so I, I think this is a, a complete mischaracterization going off of a picture in a hallway. Okay, so did you talk to Sheldon Adelson? No. no. See, I went back to Adelson. <laughs> okay, so uh, have you ever received a, a donation from Sheldon Adelson? No. And do you know if any PAC supporting you have ever gotten money from him? Not to my knowledge. Okay. So there's concern that you voted for a bill that would outlaw gambling online, which Adelson is very against because of his casinos. What was your reasoning for that vote? Let me get the record straight on this. There were two people who were co-sponsors of that bill. I didn't, I didn't vote for it. I actually introduced the legislation. Mm -hmm. It was myself and Jason Chaffetz, who was then a member of Congress representing Utah. There are two states in this country where gambling is illegal, Hawaii and Utah. Mm -hmm. So what this bill did was address the fact that there was a rule change in the Obama administration that dealt with online gambling. Our bill basically said if this change is going to be made, then it should be brought forward through Congress, through legislation, so that we as representatives of our constituents both of us representing states that have not legalized gambling can have a debate and actually see whether or not this is a change we want to make. Uh, so this was about making sure that Congress 
maintains our um, authority and responsibility and that changes like this that impact our constituents and our states are not made by a bureaucrat in Washington. So you introduced the resolution and so uh, did you wind up voting for it or against it? It was never brought to a vote. Oh, never brought to a vote, yeah. I understand. Would you have voted for it? Of course. Okay, uh, that makes sense since you introduced yeah. it. And, and like I said, any any this is about representation for my constituents. So any mm -hmm. efforts to misconstrue it as anything but that is wrong. Do you take corporate PAC money at this point? No. Okay, and when did you stop taking corporate PAC money? A few years ago, uh, I'm not sure exactly when, it's been a few years. Mm -hmm. Uh, what uh, what led to that decision? Um, it was it was an action that I felt was necessary to make sure that we are moving our Congress in that direction of not even allowing the appearance of any kind of uh, special access or influence by lobbyists or PACs uh, or or those who represent them in Washington. Uh, I think more and more people in this country are becoming aware of um, really that corruptive influence of big special interest money in politics. Um, that was that was the reason why I made that change, and uh, I'm I'm proud throughout my reelection in Congress and now in this campaign for president that we have a people powered campaign. Should we end the occupation uh, in uh, Palestine? And whose occupation? The Israeli occupation this is, of this the West Bank. This is something that, that, that has to be worked out uh, between Israel and Palestine. I'm not sure what you're saying about we, the United States, taking action. I, or? I'm saying pushing for a two-state solution, and 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 I would argue aggressively pushing for a two-state. I think solution. I think we should do all that we can to help promote peace and security, both for the Palestinian people and the people of Israel. Uh, ultimately, that long ongoing conflict is something that has to be um, that has to be worked out between the leaders of those two people and those two countries. But are you opposed to the occupation? Yes. Okay, uh, so I wanna go to one more clip here, it's video 12. This happened during the budget showdown between Trump and the Democrats that just uh, concluded a couple of months ago. And, and you were on TV and I wanted to show it and then get your reaction, okay? okay? That's interesting, though, because it's, you sound like you're not just blaming President Trump on this. You're, you're also blaming Democratic leaders in Congress. Both sides have completely hardened their positions and are unwilling to come together and work out the differences. And that's the problem here. It's a problem that we see with a lot of issues that come before us in Washington is an unwillingness to just say, hey, here's my position, here's yours. Let's figure out how we can work out the differences that we can, mm -hmm. putting forward the best solution for the American people. So that's interesting because I think that some progressives might have concerns about that because they thought Trump was pretty wrong about. He about was wrong, absolutely okay. wrong. So there, do you there think were, the Democrats were There were some Democrats wrong? who took the position uh, politicizing really the, the real issue at heart, which is border security, uh, and, and took that extreme position where Trump is saying, I want a wall from, from sea to shining sea. And others took the position, absolutely no wall whatsoever. Both are missing the point, which is, as a country, we have to have secure borders. Um, you know, Democrats and Republicans in the past have supported certain barriers or walls being built at different times and in certain places where it made sense to do so. Uh, to take either one of those extreme positions is wrong. I think ultimately the, the bipartisan deal that was brokered to end that 35-day-long shutdown 
uh, that Trump took responsibility for, that he owned, that was driven by him, was exactly what needed to happen. It, sh- it just should have happened a lot sooner. So it seemed at that point in time that you were arguing the Democrats should have given a little bit more for the wall. I'm saying we have to have a conversation. We have to be willing to talk. We have to be willing to have those negotiations so that we can deal with the heart of the issue. It serves no one in this country to have you know, Republicans hardening their position on one side, which they have done, and Democrats, some on the other side, hardening their position without any willingness to even talk and address the heart of the problem and and how we can solve this. All right, one more vote, and that is on the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Yeah. So there was an issue on House Resolution 1737, where NAACP and 24 other groups that represent minorities in this country thought that the Protection Bureau should be empowered to handle discrimination, and that was their perception of it. You voted against what they thought, and and so I wanted to get your take and again explain to folks yeah, uh, sure. why you voted that way. You know, I heard from small business owners uh, who owned small auto dealerships in my home state of Hawaii, uh, who are uh, Asian Americans and minorities themselves, who were concerned about the lack of due process, that they were being accused of discrimination based on race. Uh, when they had no ability or no pathway to determine on what basis was that accusation being made. Uh, So this was small business owners coming forward and saying not that they disagreed with the fact that this may be happening in certain parts of the country, and if so, it's absolutely wrong. They wanted to be able to have an open line of communication with the CFPB in order to determine what is the criteria, what is the basis. They want to make sure that they're doing the right thing, um, but they didn't have that opportunity to do so. Hmm. So since then, uh, the CFPB has taken action against Honda and Ally Bank for overcharging borrowers of color after that that vote did pass. So and they have recovered a hundred million dollars. Does that make you rethink it? No, I mean they're they're look they're again the issue was not whether or not this is happening. This was an issue raised by constituents of mine, small business owners who were not given any um, any details or criteria about how those determinations were being made. Which is they just they wanted to know what was going on. Uh, there were other votes uh, and other pieces of legislation that were. Uh, brought before us uh, since that time. I think their questions were largely resolved, and I voted for those because I think it's important we do address this uh, issue because it is clearly occurring, and the CFPB needs to be empowered to do so. Okay, uh, now you're running for president, so obviously something drives you to to want to be president. What are your priorities? Why are you running for president? Look, I'm a soldier. I'm I'm a major in the Army National Guard. I have served there now for almost 15 years. I served on two deployments to the Middle East, um, over six years in Congress on the Armed Services and Foreign Affairs Committees. I know the cost of war, and I'm running for president to bring about an end to these wasteful, counterproductive regime change wars, uh, work to bring about an end to this new Cold War we're seeing with increasing tensions between the United States and other nuclear-armed countries like Russia and China, uh, and end this, this nuclear arms race. These things that are costing us trillions of dollars, 
that are coming out of the pockets of Americans all across this country, uh, dollars that we need to bring back to serve the very real and urgent needs of our people. Things like health care for all, things like education, investing in our crumbling infrastructure and rebuilding it, making sure that people have clean water to drink in this country, protecting our environment. The needs are great. This issue of the cost of war is central to our being able to address those challenges. I'm running for president to bring about that sea change in our policy, get our priorities straight, and bring these values and principles of service before self back to the White House uh, so that our, our White House can be that beacon of light for every single person in this country that it should be. So a lot of progressives would agree with that. And uh, then just a quick follow-up to that. Um, if we're withdrawing from the wars and we're saving that money and we could spend it at home, would you then reduce uh, the amount of money the Defense Department is getting? Yes, that, that would naturally uh, occur. I think um, in addition to ending these regime change wars and this nuclear arms race, we have to look at how our Department of Defense is spending its money and to accomplish what objectives. Uh, you know, we've got troops who are deployed all around the world. Uh, we need to look at why that is and, and how those interests um, may or may not be serving the interests of our country and the American people. So we've got to do an overhaul and really look at and assess our Department of Defense and adjust the spending levels accordingly. All right, last question. You're known for not wanting to do wars of regime change. What yeah. would be your number two priority? Taking those dollars and investing them here in mm -hmm. our people. Um, you know, getting to the, the heart of these problems is what's critical so that we can address that root cause and then be able to be able to solve them. So I listed a number of different priorities. It's hard to say, well, which one is more pressing than the other because they're all important. In order to be able to take action and fulfill those priorities, we've got to, we've got to address that issue of the cost of war. All right, the website is Tulsi2020.com, as we do every time. Uh, volunteer is Tulsi2020.com slash volunteer, uh, and then Tulsi2020.com slash donate. Uh, and you've got to get to 65,000 yes. uh, donations yes. to make it into the debates. Shameless call to action to your viewers. Uh, whether you support my candidacy or you don't know yet what you're doing, or even if you're supporting someone else, I think we can all agree that it's important that the American people have a strong and vigorous debate as we make this most important decision about who will next be uh, our commander in chief. So uh, I'm raising these issues of, of our foreign policy, how destructive it has been and the changes that we need to see. So I ask for your help in making that contribution, whether it's a dollar, $5 or $10, whatever you can do uh, to ensure that our voices are heard on that debate stage uh, and we meet that 65,000 contribution criteria. All right, Representative Tulsi Gabbard, thank, thank you, you for James. joining us on Great The Young Turks. You. Appreciate it. Thanks. All right, thank you guys.